So we're going through the book of Galatians, and what's happening here, what we've kind of looked through so far is it's this, it's this book largely, the first you know, few chapters, it'll go into talking about the Holy Spirit, but the first few chapters are about faith. They're about faith. You know, like George Michael said, uh, and perhaps more importantly, Limp Biscuit said, you gotta have faith. I got some Limp Biscuit fans here this morning, that makes me very happy. Um, it's about faith, and so when we talk about faith, well, what are we talking about? Well, here's what's going on historically. Here's what's happening to the Galatians specifically, to the people that Paul is preaching to. As he goes there and he preaches this gospel message, he says, you know, you, you have to believe in Jesus to be saved, and they accept it, and they believe it, and, and it, you know, everything is great, and then he leaves, and, and some guys called Judaizers, just kind of like these sketchy dudes, they come in and they say, listen, you know, that's good and all, that's fine, um, Paul meant well, but what really matters is you also, not only you have to believe that Jesus died for you, but you also have to uh, be circumcised and follow the law. Now then, for a lot of us, we're like, hold up here. I have spent zero minutes of my life being concerned about circumcision, right? That's not something that I have ever really, you know, I'm like, God, I would believe you, but circumcision is wild. Like, what? You know, it's, it's something that does not have much of an effect on our lives. And so you say, okay, well, what, you know, why is this entire book written about this? How is that relevant to my life? Why does that even matter? Well, here's the deal. To explain it, here's kind of a way that we would comprehend what's going on is, is it is a physical sign of something that is going on that is much bigger than that. To explain it, you think of um, Jim and Pam from The Office, right? We all know America's favorite couple. You know, we, we grew up watching them fall in love and, you know, it's such a beautiful... Anyway, uh, so if you remember, there's, there's a time in it where, you know, Jim and Pam, they get in this big fight over... The Monster Mash, right? The Monster Mash, the song, very topical. Uh, They get in this fight over the Monster Mash, and they start saying really terrible things to each other. And you're like, hold up, this is like the Monster Mash, who cares? And what you understand as the viewer is they are fighting over something much bigger than the Monster Mash. They're fighting because they're having problems in their marriage. But the, the Monster Mash is just the physical manifestation of something much bigger going on. And so similarly, what's going on is when they come in there and they say... You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. They're telling the Galatians this. What they're not saying is, you know, it's because of some, you know, kind of arbitrary, benign thing that you have to do. What they're saying is all the way back when, Ab- or when God first commanded circumcision to Abraham, the reason that he did it was he said, I am going to be your God and you are going to be my people. And the way that the entire world will know that is you will have a physical mark that shows that you are my people. And so it's a physical mark of something spiritual. It's, it's, it's an external uh, sign of what is internal, of, of what they believe of who they are. And so what happens is when Paul comes in and he says, no, that doesn't matter anymore. Jesus has fulfilled the law. Jesus came and he did every part of the law so that we simply look to him for salvation. And the the Galatians believe it. Well, what the Judaizers are saying is, yes, that, you know, Paul means well, and that was a good thought, and that's a very kind thing. And yes, we do need Jesus, but There has to be some sort of sign that you are God's people. There has to be some sort of sign that you are a follower of God. And that sign is through looking and living according to the law. The way that looks in our life is, is, you know, we kind of, we grasp this idea that we can't be saved outside of Christ. That's something that, you know, if you are a Christian, that's something that you uh, understand. That's something that you had to understand kind of to become a Christian. It's like, I was incapable of being a good enough person or of doing anything to, to earn salvation, to earn God's love. But the problem with us is that moving forward, we forget that. 
right? So in that moment in time, we're like, yes, I, I know, I understand that I cannot do it on my own and I need Christ. But what happens is the rest of our lives, we think, okay, I need to stop doing, you know, all these things. I need to start doing this, right? I need to learn Greek. I need to pray better. I need to read better. I need to do all this stuff. As if our relationship with Christ is in any way dependent on our actions, And what's happening is we're falling into the same problem that the Galatians are falling into and saying, yes, I understand that I needed Jesus to be saved, but in order to continue to be saved, I need to look at what I can do. I need to look at what I have to offer. And what Paul is writing to them, this this urgent letter, this letter that is saying, no, absolutely, you need to stop because it has nothing to do with you. And he's going to talk about faith. He's going to talk about what does faith really mean. If you're someone like me who is kind of skeptical, you know, faith seems wild and mystical and supernatural. It's like, I don't know about that. Uh, He's going to talk about what does faith really mean? What is really going on here? He starts, uh, we're going to look in kind of three different sections of, of how Paul breaks this up. In the first section, the first five verses, Paul is going to ask six questions. He's going to ask six questions to the Galatians, kind of to, to, gauge where they're at so that they can understand what he's trying to get into. Obviously, they're rhetorical questions because it's a letter. They can't respond to them. He starts in verse 1. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? So you start there and you say, You foolish Galatians. He's, you know, he's coming right out the gate. He's calling them fools, uh, which you'd be mad if you received a letter. You're like, Yeah, oh, well, I'm not a fool. That's not behind. Uh, but he says, You foolish Galatians. And you can kind of uh, replace the word Galatians there with, You foolish downtown community churchers. You foolish uh, Floridians. You foolish whatever it is that you, you know, identify yourself as, because we understand that we do the same thing that they are doing. So this isn't just written to them, it's written to us. But he says, You foolish Galatians, before whose, uh, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes was Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified? And if you're a, you know, geography scholar, you would say, well, they, you know, this is Turkey. This isn't Jerusalem. They wouldn't have seen Jesus be crucified. They weren't there when it happened. So what does he mean it before whose eyes? They didn't actually see it. What he's talking about, and hold on to it because we're going to look at, at that in verse 2 a little bit too, but what he's saying is when Paul went and he preached this message to them, It was as if they had seen it themselves. They believed it. They heard this gospel message that Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died and he resurrected on our behalf. And if we would just believe in him, we would be saved. And the way it's preached to them and the way they believed was as if they had seen it themselves. Hold on to that because he's going to come back to it in verse 2. He says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's going to kind of combine two things. He says, did you receive the Spirit? Meaning when we say we received the Spirit, what he's saying is that is coming into the faith. That is when we believe and we, you know, are accepted by God that we are given the Holy Spirit. That's the sign of our salvation. And so what happens here is he's saying, well, when you received the Spirit, was it by doing the right thing? Was it by being a good person? Was it by following the law? Or was it simply by hearing with faith? And he makes the two, you know, these are the two things that he's going to be talking about. He says, you, you know, if the understanding is that they would understand that when they uh, heard the, the gospel preached, when they heard that message and they believed, that wasn't based on anything about the law, but that was based on hearing with faith. And so he's saying, well, if it was not, if the law didn't get you anywhere in the first place, then why are you turning back to it? If it didn't do anything for you in the first place, then why are you looking back at it? And what he's doing here, he's, he's talking back, uh, or he's looking back to Galatians 2.20. Ben talked about it last week. Uh, Galatians 2.20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
What he's saying here, and this is, this is ultimately what faith is, what the gospel that Paul preached to them was, was he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Meaning, even though we weren't there, even though it happened 2,000 years ago, long before our existence, what happened in that moment on the cross when, when Christ went to be crucified on our behalf is that when God looks down, he does not see Jesus being crucified, but he sees you and he sees me. That I have been crucified with Christ. That my flesh, my sin, my desires that are wicked, the things that are bad about me, those things were killed on that day 2,000 years ago. And it is now no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. This is the faith that Paul is preaching to them. And he's saying, in the same way that you hear that, and it's as if you saw it yourself, the same way faith works in this kind of mysterious way, that even though just by believing in that, it was as if you yourself were killed. And now Jesus lives through you. And he says, this is all I want to know from you. Did you get that by following the law? Or did you get that through faith? He says in verses 3 and 4, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it is in vain? And so he's saying, if you, were a Christian, if you were a Christian now because of faith, if you were a Christian because of simply hearing that gospel preached, then why are you turning back to the law? Is the law making you better? Is the law making you a, a more perfect person? Why are you going back to what didn't work in the first place? And he says, well, why are you even suffering this in vain? Meaning, uh, was it all for nothing? Was all of this living for Christ for nothing if you're turning back to the law? He says in verse 5, is the last question he asks them, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit, again, showing that God is the one who provides it to us, it's not that we do anything to get it, but that God provides us with the Spirit. He says, does he who provides you with the Spirit and work miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so Paul's done a lot to kind of divorce these two ideas, to make sure we think of these two as very separate things. Was it through the law or was it through faith that God saved you, accepted you, and now is moving through you. And this is essentially going to be the the main point of Paul's argument. This is kind of the thesis question that he asks is, does God save us because we have earned it, because we we deserve it, because we have done something to achieve it? Or does God save us simply because he desires to, simply because he is good, Not based on anything that we have to offer, but only based on who he is. And that's what he wants to ask the Galatians. That's what he wants to ask you and I today. Has he accepted us because of us or because of Jesus? The second section that we're going to look at um, is he's going to kind of start talking about faith specifically. How have we been accepted by God? And what he's going to do from this point on is he's going to look a lot to the Old Testament. He's going to pull a lot of verses out and explain them to us. Uh, He actually starts it here in verse 6. This is straight out of Genesis 15, 6. He's taking it word for word. It says, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, what does that mean? It's, It's exactly from Genesis 15. It says, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, the word righteousness there, if we're to boil it down really to what is the most true to what Moses intended when Moses wrote that originally, is righteousness is simply accepted by God. It's simply to be accepted by God. And so what he's saying is, is how is it that Abraham was accepted by God? It was simply through believing. 
Now, this is something, we, it's, it's an important distinction. If you don't really comprehend anything I say, listen to this, because this is important, especially in the South in which we live. What it does not say is that Abraham believed in God, right? So we understand, we, you know, we have, everyone, is, their Facebook status is, you know, God is good, beer is great, people are crazy, you know? <laughs> Like, it doesn't take much to believe in God. There's nothing really unique about someone believing in God. That's not something that you don't run across, especially where we live geographically. That's not something that you don't see often. It's, it's all of the time. You see so many people that believe in God. But what happened here, you know, what it, Moses is specific in saying and what Paul is borrowing is that Abraham believed God. He believed God. Not believed in God, but he believed God. And that was the reason that he was accepted by God. You see, what happens here, what's going on is that Abraham is taking God at his word. What God tells Abraham, what we're going to look at in a second, is that he tells him, listen, here's what's going to happen, is I am going to, through you, through your family, through your lineage, I am going to send a Messiah that will save all of mankind, because you are not capable of saving yourself. You are not capable of coming to know me through your own actions, through your own abilities, through your own intuition, through anything in in, or of yourself. You are not able to do it, but I will do it for you. And Abraham is accepted by God just simply by taking God at his word, just simply by believing God. Now this is, you know, the the whole Abraham being given circumcision, that doesn't happen for a couple chapters after this. The moment where everything changed for Abraham, the moment where everything became clear and he came into the faith was not through Abraham doing something, it was not through Abraham behaving in a certain way, it wasn't even through Abraham offering up his son Isaac, which happens chapters and chapters and chapters after this. No, it's simply him believing God, him simply taking God at his word. He says in verse 7, therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul is saying, don't misunderstand this, don't forget this. You know, we're trying, to, the Judaizers are trying to tell you, you have to come into the Jewish faith. You have to become a son of Abraham. You have to make that physical mark on yourself in order to show that you are a son of God. But what is true is that it is not simply through being of Abraham. It's not through this physical sign. The true mark that makes you a son of God is faith. The true mark that shows that you are a child of God is faith and faith alone. Verse 8 says, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the Gentiles is us, the Gentiles is anyone who isn't Jewish. Uh, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now, Ben had talked about, you know, what the term justify means. Um, he gave you a silly example Justify largely just to understand kind of what the word came from. It's a legal term. And what it means is the moment, you know, the, the gavel hits the thing that the gavel hits. I don't know what that thing is called. Um, it's the moment that that happens that the decision is made. You are guilty or not guilty. But the moment that that happens, a decision is made and now it is forever binding. It's legally binding. And the word justify simply says that in that moment in time, we were declared as not guilty if we are found in Christ. That in a moment in time, we are now not guilty because of what Christ has done for us. 
And so it says, the gospel was preached all the way back to Abraham. This isn't something that God came up with over time. This is something that was the plan the entire time, that everyone would be saved through Jesus. And it was so much the plan that God preached it all the way back to Abraham, saying, you know, preaching the gospel to him beforehand. And what it says here is, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And that blessing that he's talking about, being blessed with Abraham, is simply that being accepted by God. And how do we do it? He says, believing. That in the moment in time, we are declared not guilty, not by being not guilty, because we certainly are guilty, but simply by believing. And so what... what What Paul is doing here and what God is making clear to us is that the way in which we are accepted by God, like Abraham, is taking God at his word, is understanding that we need Jesus to be saved in order to be saved, I guess. This third part kind of begs the question, okay, so we understand that we are saved Simply by believing, it's not, you know, we don't look to the law, but we look to just believing, just through hearing with faith. But it kind of begs this question, well, then what the heck is going on with the law? Right? Well, why the law then? That seems like a wild thing to have just kind of been this, you know, it's not that it was the gospel, it's that it was a placeholder in time until Jesus came, but why would it even be there in the first place? It seems kind of like a wild thing to exist if it doesn't really matter for salvation in the first place. But the reason for it and what Paul is going to talk about is he's, it's really honestly put in place in order to be a curse. Really interesting, right? You don't think of the law as being a curse because the Bible says, you know, speaks so highly of it. Uh, but really in, it, what Paul is going to go through here is explain the curse of the law. Which curse? It's spooky. It's a good Halloween sermon, huh? Uh, he says in verse 10, For as many as are of works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. That's right out of Deuteronomy chapter 27. He says, anyone who is under the law is cursed. And this is what he's going to begin to say is because because we fail to keep the law, we're cursed by the law. Now here's, here's kind of what's going on is, is this idea of, okay, so we can be accepted by God. We can, you know, we can, if simply by believing, simply by, by looking to him and taking him at his word, that we can be accepted by God. But you might say, well, that doesn't make sense, right? Because we are unholy. We are unrighteous. How can we be accepted by someone that is holy or someone that is righteous? In the same way that, you know, something that is perfect can have no imperfection within it. Because the minute it has any sense of imperfection, it is now no longer perfect. Well, then God who is perfect and we who are imperfect, the two can't be reconciled. Because the minute that we come before God, it would make God imperfect. So the question is, well, God, how could you accept us? How could you accept us if we aren't perfect, if we are unholy, if we are unrighteous? God, how could you do that? And that is what we're going to look at with the curse of the law. What is the law doing? And and, and the answer in the long run is going to be that Jesus removes that curse from us. But what Paul's going to do is he's going to walk us through the Old Testament so that we can see God telling us this all the way back in the time of Moses. So he says, for anyone that's under the law is cursed by it. That we must abide by all things written in it. He says in verse 11, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. 
Again, he's saying that the fact, the justification, the ability to be saved, the ability to be accepted by God, the fact that it's not capable through the law is evident. And then he quotes this verse from Habakkuk 2.4. And this verse in Habakkuk is, is largely considered one of the most important Old Testament verses that is in the Bible. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. This is one of them. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, this is a time in which the people of God were living under the law. They were living within the limits of the law. And even in this moment, God is preaching through the prophet Habakkuk that righteousness doesn't come through obedience to the law. Righteousness doesn't come, or being accepted by God, doesn't come from what you can do or what you're able to offer or what you have to give to God. No, righteousness comes simply through believing God, simply through taking God at his word. That's not just a New Testament idea. That's something that was written all the way back in Habakkuk's time. The righteous shall live by faith. And so acceptance from God comes through taking him at his word. And what that also means is that it can't come from the law. If while they were living under the law, the the gospel or the message of righteousness wasn't through the law, then that means it can't be done through the law. Even in that time, they were saying, this system is not the way in which you are saved. It's only through faith. He says here in verse 12, however, the law is not of faith, but on the contrary, He who practices them shall live by them. And what Paul is doing is he's completely separating the ideas of law and faith. Completely dividing them, making them two entirely separate categories. The law has nothing to do with faith. And this is what we have to be careful of as Christians. Is that the law, you know, how we interact with the law, it's another sermon for another time. And and how we look at it, and what we'll look at it through the book of Galatians as he, he begins to kind of ask that question. But what we have to be careful of is the law never belongs in a conversation about salvation. The law has its purpose, it has its thing it does, but it never belongs in a conversation about salvation because it has nothing to do with faith. It has absolutely zero to do with faith. We sometimes make that mistake in thinking that the law, you know, guides us to salvation or it does something. And and when we start doing that, we start in our minds thinking it has something to do with us. It has something to do with our actions, that our salvation has anything to do with who we are. And the reality is, no, absolutely not. The law is contrary to faith. And he quotes Leviticus here in saying, because if you live by the law, you got to do every single thing the law says. And, you know, we're probably, like, we don't have to look that deep into the law to understand. We're probably one for nine on the Ten Commandments, you know? Like, we're not doing too hot. If we live by the law, if we look to the law for salvation, then we have put a curse on ourselves because we're trying to live by something that condemns us. So it has nothing to do with faith. It has nothing to do with salvation. It's there for a time to give us a curse. Its purpose is to reveal our curse to reveal our failure. But Paul says this, and this is good news. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It's Deuteronomy 21, 23 that he's quoting. That goes all the way back to the time of Moses. He's saying this was the plan the whole time. We've been cursed by the law, but Jesus has come to remove the curse from us. 
That is to say that Jesus took all of our failure, all of our sin, all of our rebellion, that he took our curse and he put it on his body on the cross, that he was crucified, he was killed, that he bled to death and, and was you know, suffocated to remove this curse from us. That it was all put on himself, on his body, on the cross. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we were healed. It was through his crucifixion that we were saved. It is through the work that he has done that we have been able to come into the presence of God, to be accepted by God. It's not by anything that had anything to do with us. It is simply by the work that he has already done. You see, it it is only Jesus who could free us from our own unrighteousness. It is only Jesus who could deliver us from our enslavement. It is only Jesus who could endure the wrath of God on our behalf. It is only Jesus who could become the curse so that we might be blessed. It is only Jesus who could heal the broken. It is only Jesus who could give strength to the weak. It is only Jesus who could comfort the abused. It is only Jesus who could help the helpless. It is only Jesus who could bring peace to those who are distressed. And it is only Jesus who could bring life to the lifeless. It is Jesus alone that can save. We have nothing to offer other than our belief. That it is Jesus who has saved us. And in him alone can we find acceptance from God. He says in verse 14, In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And he says it is through faith that we receive the true mark of the Christian. The Spirit. It is not circumcision. It is not the law. It is not being a better person. It is the Spirit that marks us as true believers. If we take God at his word and believe that he has saved us. And this is what Galatians 2.20, that verse that we talked about with, with faith, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the exact thing that Paul was saying. Is, and this is what faith means, is that in the moment of our sin, in the moment of our failure, in the moment that the curse is made real to us, and we feel unloved, we feel unworthy, we feel all of those sorts of things, that the faith is that God does not see us wallowing in our sin, but God sees his Son righteous and living. Because we have been crucified on the cross and it is not us who live any longer. And what happens, unfortunately, this is something that we do as Christians all the time, is that we take the gospel, we take this good news, this incredible message that that God has come to this world through Christ to save us, to love us, if we simply believe in him. And we take that 
And then we try to manipulate that. We try to change it into behavior modification. We try to change it to being a better person, to working harder, to becoming better, to doing all of these you know, things that, that are looking and relying on our own flesh, on our own strength. But I, I want to tell you, as long as you look to the gospel as behavior modification, you will be robbed of any sort of joy because you are missing the point. The point is not what you have to offer. The point is Jesus Christ alone. That we are not accepted by God because of anything we have to offer, but we are accepted by God because of Jesus Christ.